morning, um, we are going to look at um, two letters from Paul, um, three letters um, from Paul, actually, two to Timothy and one to Titus. Uh, Before we get into that, I do also want to mention a fourth letter, uh, and that's the letter to Philemon. Now, um, the letter to Philemon is a very short um, letter. You'll find it after um, the books we're looking at this morning, after the two Timothys and Titus. Um, uh, We haven't managed to give it a week of its own. Um, And it's not the easiest one to kind of slot in with with a a group of other um, letters, because it's really quite a unique um, piece of scripture. Um, Paul writes to Philemon to urge him to show grace and love and forgiveness towards Onesimus, um, who is his runaway slave. So Onesimus ran away from Philemon, uh, and while he was um, in um, Rome, he met Paul, who was in prison, and um, Onesimus got saved. He became a Christian and became really useful and a great friend and companion um, to Paul. But Paul realized that he needed to send Onesimus back um, to Philemon, so he writes to Philemon uh, and urges him to show um, forgiveness towards Onesimus. There's a great little bit of um, writing. I encourage you to read it sometime. He says, you know, I don't want to put pressure on you and it's completely up to you, but I do remind you that you owe me your very life. So I I love that. It's it's great to see Paul um, writing like that. Um, But back to the pastoral epistles. These two, uh, three letters, Timothy, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, often referred to as the pastoral epistles. And that's because they are written um, to people rather than to places. So remember, the the others of Paul's letters get their name from the, 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 the place of the church that he wrote to, like Corinthians and Romans and so on. This time he's writing to people, to Timothy and to Titus. Now, Timothy and Titus are both disciples um, of Paul. In fact, he describes them as sons, true sons in the faith. Um, They're very dear to him and they are emerging as really significant leaders in the church across that um, region. Now, Paul had left Timothy, much like I left David in Saint-Tropez yesterday to finish the work that had been started and flew back so that I could be with you um, this morning, including, by the way, quite a serious run between two planes. Such was my affection for you that I didn't want to miss um, being with you this morning. Um, So, um, but yes, so (laughs) that's a bit of a digression. So Paul had left um, Timothy in charge of a really difficult um, situation in the church in Ephesus. So um, the church in Ephesus had been going for some time, established leaders there, um, but there, were, uh, there was a real issue with false teachers leading the church astray. Uh, and the big challenge was that actually some of these had become established figures in the church, and they were now departing from teaching the truth and teaching all kinds of other stuff. And so Paul writes 1 Timothy to the church, kind of to the church, but through Timothy, So he writes to Timothy, knowing that this will also be um, read to the church, and he kind of throws his weight behind Timothy in urging him to deal with these straying leaders. Now, 2 Timothy, he wrote um, a year or two later. 
So um, Paul, by this point, had been rearrested. Paul had a number of different imprisonments. Um, he'd been rearrested uh, and put in prison in Rome again. Uh, and 2 Timothy, we think, is the last of Paul's letters, um, certainly in terms of the ones that have actually made it into um, the Bible. And by this point, he's facing execution. And Paul urges Timothy to remain faithful to the gospel, um, and he also appeals to him to come out to visit him in Rome. So he sends another leader to kind of take over from Timothy and says, I want you to come and see me um, before he faces execution. Um, Paul probably wrote Titus, the other letter that we're looking at, at about the same time as 1 Timothy. Um, so Paul and Timothy had been traveling together, and they had left Titus in Crete before they went to Ephesus. Are you still with me? So they'd gone to Crete, they'd left Titus behind, and they'd gone on to Ephesus, and then Paul left Timothy um, in Ephesus. So he's got these disciples, these sons in the faith, who he's, he's training, and they're emerging in leadership, and he's actually now giving them challenging situations to deal with um, themselves. Now, Titus's situation isn't quite as tricky because in Crete, the church is much younger. So they haven't got this problem of kind of like, you know, how do you deal with these people who've been around for ages and now they've gone off and teaching the wrong thing. But we think probably Paul with Titus was kind of heading off the same problem for the future. So he's like kind of saying, make sure you put great foundations in right from the start so that we don't end up with the same problems as Timothy is having to sort out in um, Ephesus. As with all the epistles, as we delve into these um, letters this morning, we need to remember that these letters are written into very specific contexts. As we read them and as we ask the Holy Spirit to help us to apply them to our lives, we must remember the cultural context was very different to our own. And I'll just give you one example. If you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. One Timothy chapter two, and from verse eight, it says, "Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without any anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God." So. Could anyone wearing pearls please leave now? <laughs> or anyone with any gold? Um, and if you spent more than, I don't know, the equivalent of a Primark outfit, then maybe this isn't the place for you. Of course, the point that Paul is making is that what draws attention to us should be our godliness, our behavior before God. That we shouldn't be seeking to draw attention to ourselves with worldly things, that people are shocked by our behavior, and that actually what people notice when they, when they encounter us, when they meet us, should be um, the way that the gospel has touched and transformed our lives. That's the point that Paul is making. So we have to, when we read any of the epistles, we have to kind of make that, that, that interpretive kind of journey 
of understanding what's the issue that the Holy Spirit through Paul is actually trying to address rather than just taking it from the the letter of the text alone. Does that make sense? So we don't read this as a prohibition on anyone ever wearing any pearls, but we do take to heart Paul's exhortation that says, actually, what draws attention to you should be your godliness, should be your character, should be the way you serve God. Does that make sense? Okay, so moving on and diving in to some of these letters. 1 Timothy chapter 1. From verse 3 to 7 to start with, and then we're going to skip to verse 18 to 20. Paul writes to Timothy, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer, or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Verse 18. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. Among them are Hymenius and Alexander, whom I've handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. And 1 Timothy 2, verses 14 to 18. Sorry, 2 Timothy 2. I was just wondering why there was no verse 18. Phew. 2 Timothy 2, 14 to 18. Keep reminding God's people of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenius, this guy's doing a lot of damage, isn't he? And Philetus, who have departed from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. What we believe really matters. Sometimes people like to say, well, you know, doctrine's not that important, but actually, Paul really, really cares about what is taught in the church. The doctrine of the church, the belief of the church, really matters. False teaching is causing people to fall away from Jesus Christ. A wrong understanding of the truth. Paul describes it as as, as people's faith being shipwrecked, about people falling away. This is damaging the church. And Paul is passionate And we see it here, and we've seen it in the other letters that Paul has written, that we've been studying together as a church, that Paul cares passionately about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That people should know the truth of who Jesus is, what he has come to do in our world, the difference that makes to my life, and how I should live as a result. What we believe really matters. 
Not controversial arguments. Notice that Paul again and again um, addresses the church and says, why are you getting into all these silly, meaningless arguments about trivial things, about genealogies, about lists, about rules and regulations? You need to understand the heart of the gospel. You need to understand the truth of what Jesus has done, of what he has accomplished in our world. The truth of who Jesus is and what he has done, the truth about grace, the truth about God's favor come to us to rescue us from our sin. You know, um, we heard prophetic word this morning about God's favor. And the thing is, so often when we hear favor, we think money. Or we think, you know, like, I don't know, things just going my way in life. Now, God's favor will result in blessings in our life. I'm not denying that. But I long for the day when the first thing we think about, when we think about the favor of God, is not whether I'll get a promotion in my workplace, or whether I'll get a a check through my letterbox, or, or whether I'll get an upgrade when I travel on a plane, But actually, the the first thing that comes into my mind when I think about the favor of God is that Jesus came when I did not deserve it, when there was nothing at all about me that would attract him to me other than his own undeserved love and favor towards me. That he would come and he would give the life of his own dear son, Jesus Christ. That Jesus would willingly submit himself to the plan and purpose of God the Father and lay down his life and shed his blood that I could be set free from the power of sin. That I would no longer be held bondage by sin and death. That I would no longer be trapped in a life that is centered around myself. But that I would be set free to live for the purpose for which God made me. To live for the purpose for which my Father in heaven created me in the first place. That I might rule and reign with him. That when we think about a season of favor, that we might not think, wow, the bank balance is going to grow. But that we might think, wow, the Spirit of God is going to move amongst us and we're going to see people saved and added to the church. We're going to see the gospel proclaimed. We're going to be able to reach more communities that were cut off and separate. We're going to be able to make more of an impact in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our universities, in our healthcare system. We're going to be able to make an impact in our industries where we're working. The favor of God is upon us. When we talk about our vision and values as King's Church, we talk about making Jesus famous by being loved, lovers, loving others. And that first point, knowing that we are loved, we cannot emphasize enough. Because what you believe and what you understand about who God is and what he's done in our world through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ really, really matters. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus give his life? Because he loves you. 
because he loves you and he's absolutely committed to you being part of his plan and purpose. He created you to be his daughter. He created you to be his son. He created you to know the joy and the fulfillment of partnering with him for the transformation of our world. He did not create you to be worried, to be scrabbling through life, worrying about where the next meal is going to come from or how you're going to progress in your workplace or how you're going to get that promotion. He didn't make you to live for those things. That's why Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and trust me with all of the rest. You see, what you believe really matters. Your understanding of the gospel really matters. Whether you know and understand the truth of why Jesus came to set you free. So that you could live a life to the glory of God. He loves you so much that he's prepared to give his very life to enable you to make Jesus famous. Making Jesus famous is not a penalty that he asks you to pay for your forgiveness. It's not like your punishment in life because you were a filthy, rotten sinner and he let you off going to hell, so therefore for the rest of the life to teach you a lesson, you've got to make Jesus famous. Not making Jesus famous is the most incredible blessing The most incredible sign of God's favor that he would take your life and my life that was opposed to God and his plans and his purposes. And he would take our lives and he would turn them around. That's what Jesus has made possible. Jesus gave his life so that we could be forgiven from our sin, so that we could be filled with the Holy Spirit. What you believe really matters. Titus chapter 1, verses 5 to 11. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Paul urges both Timothy and Titus in his letters to make sure that wrong teaching is corrected. We've got to live true to sound doctrine. So Timothy and Titus are both told to appoint elders, um, local leaders. We we refer to them as pastors um, in our communities so that they can carry on his work to make sure that the church stays true to sound doctrine. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. 
But not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you've heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You're beginning, are you beginning to catch a sense of how much this matters to Paul? That the church would remain true to what it has believed. That the church would remain true to the gospel as it has been proclaimed to them. He's passionate about right teaching because the gospel is at stake. This is not about fighting over this latest wind of teaching or doctrine or the other. This is about saying, come on, church. We are here to represent Jesus Christ. We're here that people would know how awesome and amazing he is. We're here on the face of this planet so that people can know that God loves them so much that he's not prepared to abandon them and leave them outside of his plan and purpose. But he's given Jesus Christ and Jesus in dying on the cross, he destroyed the power of sin and death. He paid the price, but he rose from the dead. He conquered, he triumphed over the grave. That God's power is at work and available to us in our world. You're here so that your friends, your neighbors, your colleagues could know that truth. The church must remain true to the gospel. 2 Timothy Chapter 3, from verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Do you know what? We need to be willing for leaders in the church to correct us and rebuke us, as well as to teach us and to train us. How easy is it these days to gather around us whatever preachers will preach what our itching ears want to hear? How easy is it these days? You only have to turn on your computer or turn on your phone 
and you can instantly download whatever teaching you want to listen to. And you can bemoan what the leaders in King's Church teach and wish they were more like your favorite celebrity preacher. The thing is, you don't know those preachers. You've not seen the outcome of their way of life. So the writer to the Hebrews says, he says, consider the outcome of the way of life of your leaders. Watch them. Consider them. Look at what results are being produced in the way that they live their lives. It's easy to dial up on the internet any message you want to hear. And you can listen again and again and again to whatever agrees with what you want to hear. And if you don't like it, well, it's fine. Stop listening to them and choose someone else who says what you want. I mean, in the past, people used to kind of hop churches, didn't they, to do that? The minute the, the preacher said something. But now you don't even have to have the inconvenience of leaving your church because you can just ignore the preacher in your church and listen to whatever you want to online. And then you can form a little group and you can, and you can all talk together about how you wish that the leaders would, carry, would preach the way that your favorite preacher preaches. Am I okay talking honestly like this? You see, the Bible says that we need to have leaders who live amongst us. We need to have leaders who are part of us. We need to be able to watch them and consider their way of life. And the Bible charges those leaders with taking responsibility for the people that they lead. It's not talking about controlling people. It's not talking about making people's decisions for them, but it is saying that the leaders of our communities will have to give an account to God for the way they gave themselves to applying the, God, the gifts that God gave them to lead and teach his people. So therefore, we need to be open. We need to, how open are you to receiving correction into your life? The Bible says that's what we should be doing. We should be bringing correction according to the truth. Not hammering people, bringing guilt and shame upon people. It talks about correcting people gently. It talks about helping people to grow in the truth. This is not talking about abuses of leadership, but it is talking about a heart in God's people that says, we want to stay true to the gospel. We want to stay focused on our mission. We want to live our lives for what it's really all about. We don't, want to, we don't want to be guilty of getting distracted and going off and, uh, and entering into all kinds of other stuff. We want to remain true to this amazing gospel that transformed my life, that was the power of God unto salvation when I believed. I want to live my life for this gospel. How do you feel about the leaders that God has given us in King's Church? How much do you listen to them? How much do you pray for them? How much are you aware of the burden that they carry before the Lord? How much do you support them? How much do you value them and honor them? 1 Timothy 4, 1-16. The Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. 
They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the savior of all people and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Notice the connection that Paul makes between Timothy's teaching and his speech, his conduct, his love, his faith, and purity. You can tell what someone believes. You can tell what their teaching is by the way they behave, by the way they live their life. Sometimes we say that we believe certain things, but actually our actions tell a completely different story. Sometimes we say that we believe that Jesus saves, and then we carry on behaving exactly how we used to behave before we met him. Well, what does he save me from? Sometimes we talk a good talk, but what do we actually believe in our hearts? Now, I know that we're all on a journey, and that's true. And God is gracious, and he's working in us. So this is not about guilt or condemnation or shame, but it is being real and being honest to say that the gospel we believe, if we truly believe it and pursue it with all of our hearts, and if we will hold firm to that gospel and make that gospel center of our lives, then over time, we will start to see change in the way that we behave. It will start to make our lives look different. To Titus, Paul talks about the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. And so, actually, if I believe in the grace of God, you can tell if I believe in the grace of God if I start saying no to ungodliness more often than I used to. It's not saying you're wiped out if you make one mistake, but it is saying over time we should start to see grace working in your life. Paul knows that Timothy's teaching will be undermined if he's not living out, if he's not setting an example. So what does he say? He says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Watch your life and your doctrine because the two are intermingled. What you believe will have an effect on how you behave. Will you pursue an understanding of the truth that will shape the way you live your life? 
Will you pursue? Will you give yourself? Will you submit yourself to what God is saying to us as a community? Will you submit yourself to what he teaches you, what the Holy Spirit teaches you through the reading of his word? Will you give yourself to understanding, to wanting to receive teaching? When you miss the teaching, will you care? When you're away on a Sunday, will you care what was said? Will you care what God had to say to us as a community? Will you care about the prophetic words that come during our times of worship? Will you listen to what God is saying? Will you listen to what leaders are exhorting and encouraging us to do together? Because God gives you leaders not to punish you, not to serve you right for the way you messed up last week. Ah, I'll get you, I'll give you some leaders. He gives you leaders, imperfect though they are, to bless you, to encourage you, to teach you, to train you, that we might hold firm to the truth of the gospel. That we might not get sidetracked and diverted about how can I have more things than me in my life, but that we might remain true to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we might seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and trust him that all these other things will be added to us as well, but that we might truly lay down our lives. That the gospel of who Jesus is, that making Jesus famous might be more important to us than anything else. What we believe really matters. Our leaders help us to stay true to the gospel, and you can tell what we believe by the way that we behave. Amen.